Welcome to the American College of Mohs Surgery podcast series, Conversations in Mohs Surgery, where Dr. Thomas Kanakstat, academic dermatologist and Mohs surgeon in Cleveland, takes a closer look at articles published in the dermatology literature by speaking with the authors and researchers involved. The podcast is an extension of the college's online bibliography, a searchable high-yield article reference library aligned with the Micrographic Surgery and Dermatologic Oncology Fellowship Curriculum, accessible to ACMS members at www.mohscollege.org slash bibliography. Listeners can suggest articles for inclusion in the bibliography or guests for this podcast by sending an email to info at mohscollege.org. That's info at mohscollege.org. Thank you for listening. Hello and good afternoon. This is Dr. Thomas Knackstead once again for Conversations in Mohs Surgery. Today I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Sarah Aaron. Dr. Aaron is an Associate Professor of Dermatology at UCSF, and I'm very happy that she'll be joining me today to discuss her recent publication, Association of Postoperative Antibiotics with Surgical Site Infection in Mohs Micrographic Surgery in the Dermatologic Surgery Journal. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I, um, I'll start this podcast off the way we started the last three off and just ask you to summarize this study for us because we're recording most of these podcasts immediately when the manuscripts are coming out. And so I think it's safe to say that not all of our listeners are going to have had a chance to read the publication. So give us a brief summary of, of what was done. Thanks. So this was a retrospective study looking at whether or not postoperative antibiotics prevents surgical site infection after Mohs surgery. And this study really grew out of a demonstration that I and others on the Mohs College Registry and Outcomes Committee wanted to do, looking at the very initial pilot data from the Mohs College Registry. So the purpose of this study was to demonstrate what kind of analysis can come from registry data. And we looked at antibiotic prophylaxis because that seems to be an area where there's very little consensus in our field. We all follow the antibiotic guidelines from 2008 in theory, but in practice, most surgeons do a wide variety of things for antibiotic prophylaxis. And there's an area for quality improvement where if we have baseline measurements, we can actually test whether interventions can improve our patient care. So what we did was draw cases from the original pilot registry database. So there were 816 Mohs cases entered um, from a variety of surgeons with different practice patterns. And this is not a cohort study. It's what we call a convenience sample. This was data that was entered just for practice. But we were able to apply the regression modeling and propensity scoring that's needed with registry data. We found that of those 816 cases, 151 were prescribed antibiotic prophylaxis, so almost 20%. And we didn't have perfect follow-up on all of them, but about 3.5% of the ones that had follow-up also had a surgical site infection. And in fact, patients who were prescribed prophylactic antibiotics had a higher rate of infection. And that might seem initially um, counterintuitive. But the purpose of our analysis was to demonstrate that, in fact, the antibiotic prophylaxis is strongly associated with what we call the propensity um, to develop infection. We are, as surgeons, more likely to prescribe antibiotics to patients at higher risk. So 
those patients who got antibiotics also had a higher rate of infection. And when we controlled for that propensity, we did see a reduction in infection rate. What we didn't see was reduction of infection below the baseline or below those patients without antibiotics. But this is something that we're going to have to um, analyze further in large prospective cohorts, um, such as the ones we're going to get from the ACMS registry now that it's open. So, so what that means, and this is, um, I've read the paper several times, I've sort of looked through the methods, but what this means is that we, and I say we as the surgeons who uploaded cases to this initial pilot registry, we are correctly identifying the patients who may have a higher risk of a post-operative wound infection. However, the treatment that we are implementing is not appropriately lowering that risk to be equal to those patients who are not at a high risk of a wound infection? Is that the right way of, of uh, summarizing that? That's the right way of summarizing the design and the analysis of the study. I can't say from our review that we are appropriately selecting those patients for prophylaxis. I can only say that the patients who were selected for prophylaxis were also more likely to become infected. So the reasons the physician put the patient on prophylaxis corresponded very closely with the reasons that patients with infection were different from patients without infection. So for example, patients with uh, lower limb Mohs sites are more likely to become infected, and those patients were also more likely to be put on antibiotics. Those two things were similar. When we control for that similarity or that correlation, we still see a higher rate of infection in the lower limb patients, but it's improved, right? So the antibiotics are doing something. Mm -hmm. They're just not doing the entire job. Got it. I will say as an aside, we asked surgeons as part of the pilot what the reasons were for antibiotic prophylaxis. I'm glad you mentioned this, yeah. <laughs> Those reasons were very dramatically variable. Some surgeons would cite, you know, I know this is a high-risk location, or I've read the guideline papers and I'm adhering to them. But other surgeons would say, in my practice, we put everybody on antibiotics, or this was a long case and I, my gut instinct, or this was a patient who had become infected before, right? So there are all these reasons we prescribe antibiotics kind of by our gut instinct that don't necessarily correlate with the guidelines. And so my hope is that data like this uh, will actually help us refine which patients will be able to receive the greatest benefit from antibiotics and who are the patients that should appropriately be prescribed um, so that we can tailor our practice patterns in the future. Exactly. Yeah, I, th I thought it was really striking to read in the article that, that you, first of all, ask surgeons what their reasons were for prescribing these antibiotics, but then come to find out the most common is it's simply their standard practice or it's simply driven by surgeon preference more so than any standardized guidelines. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that it just highlights our need for more robust and comprehensive studies to look at this infection risk. And so when I read the paper and in the past, we've not talked about methods so much, but most of us that sort of skim dermatologic surgery, we read the methods and we see we have a sort of cause and effect type question, and we have a number of confounding variables that we know can influence our outcome, be it in melanoma survival, we've got Breslow depth ulceration, et cetera, and we use univariate and multivariate analysis to correct for that. How is it different when we're 
doing registry research or what prompted your methods to be somewhat novel, at least in terms of what I've read? So that's a great question. Um, and propensity scoring is really important technique when you're trying to assess the impact of an intervention on an outcome in a data set that is not a perfect prospective randomized controlled trial. You know, we all know that if we were able to match patients by sight, size, immunosuppression, and other features that may impact infection risk, we could create a random assignment of patients to antibiotic prophylaxis or not, and then we could follow them to see who had the surgical site infection. But that's a very, very challenging study to do. And in a registry where we're not going to be assigning patients to a clinical trial in that way, we have to have other methods for making those adjustments. And so the propensity score is a way of adjusting or matching for those confounders that might cause a patient's assignment to the antibiotic or non-antibiotic group to be non-random. And we know it's non-random. We prescribe antibiotics for a reason, um, whatever that reason may be. And when we have a full registry, we are also going to be performing certain procedures or executing certain repairs for a reason. Um, and so propensity scoring is something that many electronic registry programs or um, health service researchers using registry data will use to approximate or adjust for the non-random assignment of patients. That's very helpful. And so just so I understand it and our listeners understand it, you have these variables, which in, in your case, in your paper, you mentioned the number of most stages, the surgical and anatomic site, the defect size, the type of reconstruction, and the immunosuppressed status. Those are all things that you identified from knowing the literature beforehand as potential confounders, or how are they fed into the model? So these were actually identified within our data set. So we took this core of data and we said, what are the factors that predict prescription of antibiotics? And what are the factors that predict surgical site infection? And the true confounding variables are those factors that predict both of those things. And so when we build the model for the study, the first model we build is the propensity score. And then the second model we build is the model of prescription of antibiotics and the outcome of surgical site infection adjusted for that propensity score. Got it. Very interesting. And very sophisticated programs in the future will be able to give us as surgeons our data with these propensity adjustments occurring in real time. So I would love to envision the Mosaic registry as a tool where we can put in our patient's data as we're going along, and it will be able to feed back to us, this particular patient has a X percent of surgical site infection, and that X percent risk will already be adjusted for these confounding variables. So this is very much a statistical way of measuring what we as surgeons do by instinct right? You, you do a big flap on the nose after seven stages in an immunosuppressed patient, and you're going to want to put that patient on antibiotics. Um, you do a small excision um, or, you know, a small Mohs on the cheek, and it's one stage, and it's very tiny. Um, you know, you do a linear repair, there's no reason to do antibiotics there. What this helps us look at is 
you know, to make sure that the outliers are not influencing the data in an inappropriate way and also help us identify what is influencing our practice and how is our practice influencing our desired outcome. And it's really interesting because there's really two completely different directions we can take this podcast because one is the sort of very intuitive, is my patient going to suffer from a wound infection or not? But the other thing that we've talked about in the past is that this is a outcomes measure that is really necessary for us as most surgeons or as dermatologists as a whole to be able to submit to the public, to be able to submit to our colleagues, to insurers and other payers to demonstrate the quality of, of our work that we do. And so we're both members of the National Registry and Outcomes Committee, but for those who've maybe not heard about the Mosaic Registry since the last annual meeting, would you mind just sort of updating where that process stands and the many different things that that registry can do for us and our members? So I think both of those questions or both of those aspects of this study are really fascinating. And part of the reason that I enjoy doing health service research is that we can look at both things, right? What is the, what is the impact for me as a physician on my patient? And then what is the quality improvement opportunity for us as a field of surgeons on our population of patients? So I want to start with your first point, which is how should this paper impact my practice? Mm -hmm. If so, how, or, or what does this mean for me as a surgeon? Um, and I want to start with the very important caveat that this is a proof of concept study using pilot data. So for example, we report a crude infection rate of 3.5%. And my initial instinct is that's much higher than I think we have um, as a field. You know, I always cite one to 2% to our patients. I think the reason that crude rate is higher in this paper is because we were testing a registry by putting in as many different kinds of cases as possible not your run-of-the-mill everyday case. Um, so that number is not as important as it might be if this were a true registry outcome study. The second is um, in table two, where we talk about the estimated effect of antibiotics. So patients prescribed antibiotics were 2.3 times more likely to become infected albeit not statistically significant in this small population. If we adjust for the propensity for antibiotics, we reduce that. So really only 1.5 times more likely to become infected. You could read that the wrong way and take home from this that antibiotics cause infection. And that's exactly why we focused on the methods here, because what the methods are showing us is that antibiotics reduce infection. But in order to see that reduction, we have to know very clearly why we prescribe it. Turning towards the registry and the second part of this paper, the goal of this paper, what we would like to do is have the appropriate data to say, what is our global infection rate? Which populations are at highest risk of infection? It's been 10 years since the Otley guidelines paper. Can we follow these guidelines? Can we create an improving wisely program where most surgeons are advised on their adherence to these guidelines? And then with these infection rates and these propensities and the outcomes derived from the registry, can we now test interventions to reduce our global infection rates? And that's where we really have an opportunity for health service researchers to partner with surgeons participating in Mosaic to come up with those interventions that benefit patient care. 
there are definitely opportunities for what I call the capital Q quality improvement measures. There are a number of surgical fields where things like delivery of antibiotics within 30 minutes of incision is a performance measure captured by the operating room. Um, and that's for the type of case where it's the standard of care that every patient has, you know, cefazolin on board before incision. But we may someday have an appropriate quality measure for something like Datadurm or the Mohs College um, Qualified Data Registry that allows us to say what percentage of high-risk surgical sites received prophylactic wound infection. And then that's someone that'll benefit our patients. It'll benefit our field. And if you're getting you know, value-based reimbursements or bonuses, it may benefit the bottom line for your practice as well. I think it's really fascinating because it, it seems you know, so intuitive to measure these things and to look at these things. And a lot of them are the things we talk about to our patients in everyday practice infection, recurrence. But then when you get down to the nitty gritty of committee meetings and actually implementing these as measurable, defined outcomes or complications to be tracked, it's significantly more challenging. For, for any of our listeners who are more interested in this process, I encourage you all to go back to 2016 and read the um, JAD publication by Ian Marr and, and colleagues identifying and defining complications of dermatologic surgery to be tracked in the Mohs College Registry, which just highlights the Delphi process of consensus to get an appropriate number of outcomes, and including both those that are standard use metrics, just like you were saying, Sarah, you know, things like death or death within a certain time from a procedure is almost an universally accepted surgical outcome. And while it has very little to do with our daily practice and our daily patients, it's one of those things that we can use to compare ourselves to our colleagues in other specialties. At the same time, we have things like infection where we're not really using the exact same definition that people in other potentially more invasive surgeries are using, like the time to uh, administration of antibiotics. So I think it's actually an incredibly complex process to get to where we are even now in the Mosaic Registry of capturing those first cases with a first level of appropriate outcomes to be tracked. You couldn't have said it better. The Mosaic Registry, which really went live this year, and hopefully you'll be able to post the link for interested listeners to start participating, that comes after, I think, at least four years of really hard work on behalf of the tireless volunteers from the Mohs College, led by Howard Rogers, Ian Marr, um, and some others that have just put enormous love and care into the smallest detail. What do we call an infection? What do we call uh, bleeding after surgery? How do we define these? If we're going to create a measure, if we're going to measure something, what are we reporting? Is it a mean, a median, a numerator, a denominator? These details, I mean, I don't know about you, I became a surgeon because, you know, I don't want to sweat these details. I want to take out cancer and reconstruct the patient and send them home knowing a job well done. But when I put on my other hat as a data scientist, I know that these definitions are extraordinarily important because we have so little data in our field. Much of it is retrospective, single center, single surgeon review, where the definitions of the outcomes are not necessarily concordant. And so if you ask me my infection rate, I could easily turn around and say, are you talking about the rate of people that are prescribed antibiotics over the phone by my fellow because they called late at night? 
or the rate of people who have a positive culture because they come in for suture removal and I see sign of infection? Or is it the rate of people who have an antibiotic prescription in the electronic medical record within seven days of surgery? Right? All three of these things could be valid measures of postoperative wound infection, but the numbers from the same surgeon and the same set of cases are going to be different. So the first and foremost, those Delphi papers on defining complications after surgery, um, and there's also one headed up by Justin Leitenberger on defining recurrence after Mohs surgery. If we as a field start to adopt this common language and common methods, we're going to find our literature really elevated to the next level in terms of usefulness to the field. I, I completely agree with you. I think it just um, with good quality data on which to anchor your decision making, um, the registry can just accomplish so many different things, you know, be it CMS reporting requirements, be it truly generating new clinical knowledge or decision making that comes out of these studies like yours and just advancing our specialty as a whole. Before we started the actual recording of the podcast, we said we're not going to talk too much about the CMS reporting, but um, is there anything from your end, Sarah, that you want to share in terms of, you know, using it at a major academic medical center or, or where you see your utilization of this registry going as a scientist? Because not only are you entering cases or planning to enter cases, you're probably also hoping to do more with this data as it becomes available. So I, I think this data is going to be a rich resource for so many researchers, and I would actually love to see the next generation of most surgeons doing their career development awards around this data set and trying to spearhead some consensus um, guidelines and policy decisions around these. I think we have just tremendous value here, and we're really right at the start. You know, in my own practice as an academic um, and also a Veterans Administration hospital derm surgeon, we don't have the same incentive to do qualified uh, registry reporting because our hospital EMR pretty much takes care of those things based on other much simpler performance measures like did I ask the patient their pain scale? Did I look at their medications and click, yes, I have, I've updated their medications? You know, performance measures are very, very simple. Um, and outcome measures are almost the most challenging performance measures to create. Um, my, my own feeling is that I hope to utilize these measures as a way of teaching and, and teaching the next generation of Mo's fellows how to understand that our actions have consequences. Um, if I prescribe antibiotics, I need to understand the value of that to that patient because if there's minimal or no value in the prescription of antibiotics, but the patient gets C. diff or gets a rash or some reaction to the antibiotics, I've done harm. If the patient doesn't benefit from antibiotics and there's a cost to their insurance or out of their pocket, I've done harm. Um, so I want to know what that benefit is and act accordingly. Um, and then finally, from my VA hat, uh, most of the research I do there is. Um, what we call clinical informatics, so use of electronic uh, health records to measure information like this. And so I think the, the next goal will really be integrating the registry into the EMRs so that this data is just naturally acquired and reported back to the physician through clinical decision support or quality outcome measures um, in a way that each office or each department or each institution can use to help their providers act appropriately. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the um, 
you know, the holy grail of registry documentation and, and research ends up being having an almost automated AI type process where you're able to feed in data. And like you said a couple of minutes ago, in real time, receive appropriate recommendations for your care, which just unloads us as busy surgeons in our decision making to maybe something that's a little less fallible than we are in our busy days. So I think it's great news for our patients who are already receiving really high quality care. And I think a lot of what we'll see with this registry is that with those bigger numbers, we're simply going to be validating what we already know to be true in terms of the care that we provide to our patients. I think that's absolutely right. So before we finish with our podcast, I want to go back to the paper one more time because I just had one more question that came up through our discussion, and I want to make sure I get this part right, and it sort of helps us look in the future as well. If I look at your table two, you've got the nice odds ratio for unadjusted and adjusted effects of antibiotic prescription on infection outcomes. And the unadjusted is 2.3, the adjusted is 1.47. However, both of those are not statistically significant. What does that mean for us, and why do you think that is? That's a wonderful question. This was a small study. We had aimed for 1,000 cases. We got 816 entered, and of those, only 150 were prescribed prophylaxis, and only about 450 had sufficient follow-up for us to capture surgical site infection as an outcome. So the numbers got smaller and smaller as we lost data. Um, so this winds up being not a very large study. And so when you're adjusting for multiple confounders, which we have demonstrated in figure one, you lose power with every confounder you adjust. That's why we don't think we achieved statistical significance. And that's the confidence intervals around these odds ratios are very wide. And this is a convenient study and a pilot proof of concept. So again, the purpose of these numbers is not to go home and say, well, now I know that antibiotics give you a 1.5-fold increased risk of infection. That's not the take-home. The take-home is that we can see that we are prescribing the antibiotics appropriately, that those patients at highest risk for surgical site infection were also at highest likelihood of being prescribed antibiotics. But the attenuation of that odds ratio as we adjust from 2.3 to 1.4 means that we're going to reduce surgical site infections with appropriate antibiotic use. So I would estimate with a larger cohort, more complete data capture, and obviously a broader, more prospective data collection, we're going to actually be able to create confidence around these numbers, knowing that our techniques are appropriate. And so that's what I'm really looking forward to. I would love to be able to repeat this study after the Mosaic Registry has two or three years worth of data under its belt. And I think that's a perfect uh, sort of closing plug that ties us back in with the original paper that we uh, were meant to discuss, that as uh, our listeners start to join the Mosaic Registry, it's truly every case adds to our data volume. And uh, while it seems like a lot of surgeons are going to be logging a lot of cases, very quickly when you start looking at outcomes that happen at a very low frequency, because we're so good at what we do and because we know what we're doing, we end up with relatively few cases of the outcome of interest. So just one more plug for everybody to join the Mosaic Registry. That being said, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really enjoyed learning from you. I also want to thank our listeners for their attention. Um, this article 
that will be included in the Moe's College Reference Library, which is accessible through the ACMS website. As in times past, I encourage all of our listeners to share this podcast with your colleagues and your trainees. Let us know how we are doing and who you would like to have on the show. You can contact us at info at And thank you, and I hope you'll join me next time on Conversations in Mohs Surgery.